This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Robert Glass is the head of marketing for Excel Composites. They are a Finnish technology giant and a global expert in carbon fiber fiberglass, hybrid and other composite technology solutions. Their solutions help customers across a wide range of industries from transportation to wind power, from airports to paper machines. He has over 10 years of experience in marketing communications at his previous company, ABB. Robert Glass, welcome to ClientSide. Ah, thank you. It's nice to be here. You start your career at Northrop Grumman as a software developer in 1992. Why software development and what plan did you have for your career at that point? Uh, honestly, I didn't have a plan. Um, <laughs> I know some people have. It, it's, it's the truth. Um, I was kind of going where the wind blew right. at the time. So sure. it was one of these... Um, uh, you know, I grew up in the Midwest in the United States and just had this wonderlust to go out and see things. And right. uh, uh, through various um, uh, experiences, I ended up uh, working uh, with uh, a company that became part of Northrop Grumman right. and uh, really got into software development as a um, I found it really interesting. I was watching some of uh, my colleagues. I didn't start as a software developer there, but I, I was watching colleagues. Uh, doing this, and it was uh, something that intrigued me at the time. So that's how I ended up into that. Very and, useful uh, and valuable skill, though. We all live our lives in a digital world, and as Andreessen Horowitz says, software is now eating the world. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a good background, especially in marketing, from sure. my perspective, to understand. You know, when you see something on a screen, that what happens behind that screen, what what's needed to make that bit right. of uh, screen live and when you click on it and interact you know there are things behind the scenes right. so it's it's nice to have that as a uh, part of the toolkit definitely i i agree I, I think there are a lot of marketers that are quite envious of people that have software development as a as a background i think it's a hard, it's harder to learn that as a secondary skill than it is to learn marketing first uh, and then um, learn software development um, that's really interesting. But at some point you decided that you didn't want to be a software engineer anymore and you sort of made the decision to move to Finland from New Jersey where you were at the time. Why did you do that? Uh, same reason many people moved to Finland. Uh, my wife is actually from Finland. Ah, so okay. And uh, we wanted to uh, be able to give our children the opportunity to live both in the United States and in Finland so okay. that they could sort out where they wanted to live after that. Um, but at the time, I had also gotten my degree in um, business and in software, doing software development, there comes a time, you know, where you basically, uh, you become too expensive. Mm -hmm. Let's say there's, there's younger kids coming in, right. they're, they're, you know, just as qualified, they're doing things. Talented. So that forces you right. to take on yeah, additional roles sure. in, in outside of that area. But I used the move to Finland as a, as a good way to really get into something that uh, has always been a passion of mine. So, Quite, quite fascinating. So at, at ABB, um, you started working in Finland at ABB. You got interested in how people come to buy things. Um, that's what really got you interested in, in marketing. What did you learn and what? How, what conclusion have you come to as to why the reason why people buy things? 
<laughs> I don't know if we have enough time to go through <laughs> that. Um, but, but I think the simple answer is people buy things because they have either a perceived value or mm-hmm. a perceived level of trust in, in the company or, or the people providing that mm-hmm. uh, particular item or solution. So brand recognition is always an important aspect of it. You know, we, we can look at certain brands and go, oh, that's a Swiss brand or that's a Japanese mm-hmm. brand. And, you know, you have this, this feeling of, that's, you know, it's going to be okay, whatever mm-hmm. I get there. So mm-hmm. how do you get to that point? How do you convey that value? And, how, you know, what are the aspects of that that you can squeeze out of uh, who you are as a company and, and put those forward to convince people? that yes you know this is good value this is this is what you want mm. so um and, and working with a company like abb it's also a large company so learning how to navigate and and you know just work within the company itself is also um a pretty valuable uh skill that comes mm. out from there so Really, really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about ABB. They're a Fortune 500 company in robotics, power, heavy electrical equipment and automation technology, as we mentioned earlier at the top of the show. Talk a little bit about what they do and what's your role and responsibility at the company? Uh, well, the company itself is, is enormous and they, they really do a lot around power, automation and um uh, helping industries, businesses be more productive, more um, uh, efficient. And for, let's say, before I left the company, um, my main focus area was really developing a new area of business that the company was going after, and that was in the food and beverage market. Mm-hmm. So the company had decided as part of their growth strategy um, a few years before that they were going to um, – pursue building business in food and beverage. Uh, the company's brand recognition within food and beverage customers, you know, the manufacturers, the, um, you know, the people that have the, the manufacturing plants and, and the OEMs and those businesses, mm-hmm. uh, ABB wasn't a very well-known name. So we had an immediate um, challenge of, of getting just some recognition that we're, hey, we're here, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we have something to offer. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite fascinating. At ABB, you, you won a global award for best integrated B2B campaign. Why was that yeah. campaign so Im- impactful? Uh, that campaign, I think, uh, really I would qualify the impact of that campaign as coming down to, to two, key, two, key, um, two key points. One, visually it conveyed a value um, just from the graphics, from the from the visuals that were employed in there mm-hmm. for our target audience. So it was very easy without even having to read anything. The the it conveyed a value um, in a way that was meaningful to people in food and beverage. And, and, and then this, the second, just so we're clear, yeah. the the target audience was who? Sorry. So the target audience was basically food and beverage manufacturers again, mm-hmm. or OEMs also mm-hmm. in that are building the machines, building the packaging machines, building the process lines, um, or running and operating these factories where they're installed at. Sure. Um, so and, for and them, prior to that, yeah. and prior to that, you you didn't really have much of awareness uh, within that market or that sort of consideration correct, set. Correct. Correct. So, right. 
so there were some pretty heavy uh, other industry, you know, other other companies, the the Rockwells and the um, Schneider, and uh, you know, there are a lot of competitors that were very well ingrained sure. in food and beverage. So sure. there was also a level of trust and confidence, you know, that these companies were providing what was needed. So. So getting in and, and trying to make uh, awareness and shine some spotlights was was quite challenging. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And then, so you talked about the the reason why you, you won the campaign. Uh, the arresting graphics were a really important part of that. What were the other factors that led to the success? Yeah, so the other the other aspect was just the philosophy of of the um, the tagline involved with there was inviting you know basically to open a conversation. And um, really more about listening to what they're trying to achieve, you know, those target audiences we're trying to achieve and and opening up a conversation to talk with them long term, not just to, to sell a product, not just to sling a solution towards them, but to really listen, understand and grow with them um, and work with them along the way to provide solutions. Hmm. So, yeah. And I understand that you worked with a creative agency and a PR agency on developing that campaign. Talk about how you selected, chose those agencies um, and how did you work with them in order to achieve the desired result? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a big process. Basically, um, going into that, you know, I recognized, you know, when, when we're we're looking at how we were going to be able to get some visibility that having a good creative agency was a, a key aspect mm-hmm. of what we were trying to go after. Um, and the PR agency was also extremely important from the perspective of starting to get um, visibility across the trade media. So the process basically for both was essentially the same, selecting the agencies. So I, I like to put together um, – First thing I do is I, I scour the internet for possible agencies, and then I'll cold call. Hmm. I'll just give them a call, um, say, "Hey, this is you know Robert. I'm calling, and and I just wanted to find out if uh, you guys do this, this, this. Could somebody give me a call back?" Right. Um, you know, and and you, so you get the calls back, and you, you start talking a little bit about the. the the goal is to really understand is this agency someone that has experience in this sector or this sort of arena that you're trying to target sure um and to get a certain level of confidence from that agency that they're one that you would like to you know take to the second round interview basically Mm -hmm. so i did that across a spectrum of agencies um, with some initial criteria that i had in mind about what i was looking for regarding the size and um, even even aspects like uh, are they native English speakers um, and and mainly you know when you when you're developing a global campaign in English um, if that campaign's developed in another language and translated into English it's not always a one to one fit so mm-hmm. it may lose some impact or its edge or it's or it's and that can take time um, to to resolve so. I wanted to have an agency that um, was doing the creative process in English. Mm. Um, so I downselected to a handful of agencies, and I sent each of them a the same proposal under the same criteria. So uh, I sent them a PDF with 
basically outlining uh, for the agency to provide a response to this uh, proposal mm-hmm. uh, and making myself 100% available. So anything you need, I'm free. Give me a call, email me. Right. So if they wanted to just the meeting, if they wanted to, uh, at, you know, whatever they wanted to do, I was there to support them along the way. Because from my perspective, that's when really the the evaluations began mm. of the agencies. So how, how, how many select agencies did you down select to at this point? Uh, for the ABB one, I believe it was uh, it was three or four. Okay. Uh, no more than that. Okay. Um, and uh, but it was interesting. Some of the agencies, I didn't hear from them. Huh. You know, send them that and said, okay, you know, gave it, gave everybody the same deadline. Yeah. Uh, same constraints, same opportunities. Yeah. And you know, see, and it's part of the evaluation. You know, how do they take that and it's also a reflection of that agency's sort of philosophy or, I don't know, attitude. You know, that, oh, we, we've got this, no problem. We, we can handle this. Um, so I uh, made myself available, gave them all that, and then uh, waited for the replies to come in and that. Mm-hmm. So that's the process for getting the proposal submitted to me. Makes Makes complete sense. Um, and then once you got the proposals, what was your process for evaluating them and then selecting the chosen agency? It, typically, you know, you get the proposal and the agency wants to present or, you know, at least have a meeting with you to, to go over, which is great. Um, and if they want to come and visit, that's great. If Because, uh, you know, they could be not. In, I was in Finland, obviously, and most of these agencies were in the UK. So... Um, uh, but basically give them the opportunity to present and explain and, uh, you know, go through and answer questions. Um, so after that's done with each of them, you also have the cost structures in there. So how, how did they approach your, uh, cause I would always put a budget limit in there and say, you know, within this budget, how, how would you do this? Um, and it was interesting to see how agencies would then interpret that and come back with, well, you could do that or we want you to do, you know, we would recommend you do this or, mm-hmm. you know, we stick strictly to that criteria. So it also gives a little bit about, you, you get to see a little bit more about that, but then obviously um, you do break down at some point. Price is always a, a, a even in big companies, price is always a, a consideration. So it's a balance between has this agency convinced me that they understand me enough to, to, to do what I'm asking them to do. And mm-hmm. if they, you know, um, and it, agencies also have, um, you know, personalities. Mm. So it, it's, it's like a dating app or something. I mean, it's you know, <laughs> a dating relationship. Agency, yeah. Basically. It's a date, you know, okay. You know, do we both like to go, you know, do, what do we want for dinner? Right. Japanese sure. or, or, you know, steak. Right. So what's your view on kids? Um, <laughs> Yeah, what you, exactly. <laughs> Pretty fundamental you questions. Do or do you want <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. So, because you could tell some of the agencies, you know, it, it, you, you're going to be working with them mm-hmm. closely. So you want to make sure that that relationship between uh, both parties feels productive. Sure. So, and uh, basically, and then, you know, uh, let's say you get down to the 
uh, time to make a decision. And at that point, everything is weighed. And and quite honestly, it's 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 that that you know, have you convinced me? Have you have you um, who's made the best impact? And who's really stuck out? You know that comes to mind again and again that I really like what they said there or and it could be something very simple it could be just you know a few words on one slide that have have shifted your perspective so that's really interesting because I mean the challenge from the client side is actually pretty it's pretty tough I mean you've downlisted to three really good agents really strong agencies presumably they have really strong creative and they've got a, a, a background on doing these sorts of things for similar types of clients. So they're all pretty strong when it gets down to the final two or three. And then you're in a situation where you need to choose the winner um, of uh, presuming, assuming that they're all pretty, uh, they have pretty strong or compelling cases. What were the factors that enabled you to choose the winning one? What was it that the winning agency had over the other two? That's a good question. <laughs> Somet- good question. Yeah. I, I guess sometimes um, it's hard to isolate that, right? The reason. I think it might be hard. You know, honestly, I think when you start going into there, you know, you start to build, you know, as much as I try to stay neutral towards the agencies, mm-hmm. um, Interactions do matter, though, when they, you know, the way they interact with you, the way mm-hmm. they maybe ask questions or pose questions, mm-hmm. they start to build, you know, these subtle little, uh, um, I don't know, you know, it starts to it starts to accumulate and, and you get, you know, a little bit more like, I, I really have a positive mm. feeling towards this agency. It's that relationship uh, and again. Maybe, it's that relationship again. Mm. Um, and, and then, you know, You've got to, you got to jump into it. You got to, you know, it comes a time you got to fish or cut bait. Mm-hmm. So, it's mm. like, all right, we can we can speculate, and you know, at that point too, you solicit some feet, you know, the opinion of some of your peers, mm-hmm. or you know, I, I remember sitting down with my manager at the time, and we went through them, and it's like, okay, you know, these three are all good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what do we do? What do we do? Well, I, I, you know, and then you just got to say, okay, well, I, I have a preference for this one. Yeah. And okay, let's go with that one. So what, go with that one. what role does the brand of the agency play in that decision-making process? You know, assuming that let's say hypothetically, you know, one out of the three was Ogilvy, really good reputation. You've known them for, you know, of them for a very long time. Uh, they've written uh, amazing books, Ogilvy and advertising. Sort of the Mad Men era was sort of based on Ogilvy. Right. So they've, you know, they've, they've, there's they've, there's that strong brand reputation that they have. What role does that play in the decision making process? Do you think consciously or even uh, subconsciously? Uh, I think I think for some clients that's an important aspect of of their choice. You know, to have this bragging right about their agency. You know, they want to they want to flash the agency sure. nice name. Um, for me, that was less important because oh. I think um, the what I was looking for was more really the hunger of an agency, um, hmm. the the desire to get um, uh, noticed. You know, they're they're not they're not the only because 
also when you're dealing with the larger agencies like that, um, a lot of the interaction, a lot of the relationship, and I, I don't know if they're going to haunt me, you know, come after me now for <laughs> saying something like this, but it, it, it ultimately is based on your spend with them on an annual basis. Sure. So, you know, if, if you come to them with a smaller spend than what they would consider, you know, a, a good spend, then, then you're kind of almost a waste of time. Sure. To them. Um, I was working with one larger agency which I will not name mm-hmm. for a period also. Um, and that was, that was evident. My mm-hmm. spend with them was not significant enough for them to justify having anything but a junior team mm-hmm. um, uh, assigned to my account. And, and it showed. It was just, you know, the work was, was subpar. I see. Um, uh, and I got out of that relationship as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a good eye-opener. Um, but it did nothing for me um again yeah so it's really those smaller agencies that really uh have a point to prove they they're aggressive they want to grow quickly they want to make a name for themselves those are the ones that go above and beyond and really sort of uh yeah make sure that they deliver yeah they, they have to deliver because it's you know more each account is is more important to their bottom line than than the larger companies who can afford to drop a few accounts, let's say, you know, it's not going to matter, mm. but, um, smaller, faster, um, more, you know, hungry agencies that are really, um, there, there are a lot of really good, you know, the Fox agency had a great, uh, proposal for us when we were choosing the agency here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's why I, we didn't win, unfortunately. You didn't win, unfortunately. We were close. You were, you were, yeah, you were very close. And, I mean, you were in the top three sure. of receiving the proposals to, uh, to um, uh, you know, uh, submit for this work. Sure. And again, it came down, you know, the agency size relatively the same. But mm. um, I didn't choose any big, big agencies mm. to to even go into that process because of the. It's just more complex, you know, because then you have more layers of project managers that get involved on top of the account managers that get, you know, a little bit further from the creative and the more your desires and wishes have to be interpreted through one layer of account manager to a project manager to somebody else to somebody else, then finally Mm. to the creative. So you're really separate, separated from, from trying to get what you want. And it's really when a client picks an agency, you know, it's, it's a very simple thing that the agency has to deliver in, in my view. Basically, what you're doing is making my job easier. <laughs> yeah. When you make my job easier, you're helping my company because ultimately I'm trying to get mm-hmm. better visibility for us as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obtain that premier permit, you know, for, for Excel composites, I want us to be the first thought of company when people consider composites, sure. um, you know, so I have, I have this, this vision of where I'm trying to get to, uh, with the company and the creative agency helps me get there. Mm. And that makes my job easier. Cause now I can also focus on some other things. Mm. Let, we'll, we'll talk so, about Excel composites in a moment because it, you're working with a, a fascinating, company right now but just before just before that you talked about your selection process for 
uh, when you were with ABB and, and you won the Creative Awards. What would you have changed about that selection process with hindsight, knowing what you know now? Would you have done anything differently in that process in your selection criteria? Uh, I'm not sure because I, th- I feel it you won. worked. <laughs> well, yeah, we won. Um, I feel it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have the flexibility to, to do that type of selection within mm-hmm. a big company. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't too much longer that, you know, uh, larger companies like that also are looking for ways to save costs. And so they do a lot of consolidation. Mm-hmm. They look across, you know, how many agencies are we using? Do we need all of these agencies? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, they, they do roll-ups and consolidations and, and um, narrow down your, your supplier capability to, to a few. Um, that can seriously disrupt what you're trying to accomplish. And, and so fortunately, I was able to um, uh, choose the choose the right company in that sense, and and resulting in you know that did win a few nice awards, and uh, it was a good campaign. So, um, but I don't know if I would change anything specifically with the way that I went about doing it because it was also. Um, I feel it was fair mm-hmm. in the sense that every agency had equal opportunity to mm-hmm. uh, or access in the sense that, you know, during the period of, of time, it was a uh, plenty of time. I think uh, at that point, I think it was even two months to answer the proposal. Hmm. So, you know, it wasn't a one week come back sure. or something. It was, you know, you had plenty of time to think about it and put together and, and ask considered. questions. Yeah. And anything that you need to do, however mm-hmm. I can help. So, um, that uh, seemed to work pretty well. Hmm. So, you, you now work for Excel Composites, as you as you mentioned. I think a lot of people are still confused about what composites are. I I certainly am, and what the different manufacturing processes actually mean. What are composites? Uh, how are they used? And what is your role in Remit there at the company? Yeah. So, as head of marketing, um, well, basically, let's, let's look at first what are composites. Um, Composites are an alternative material uh, to metals and plastics like PVC or even wood. Um, Technically, a composite is a combination of a reinforcement and a matrix. Um, Those reinforcements are most commonly known as glass fiber Mm -hmm. or carbon fibers. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can also be other other types like flax or um, biocomposites. And then they're combined with a, um, a matrix. Uh, which is usually a resin, like an epoxy or a polyester resin. Mm-hmm. And we manufacture using processes called pultrusion and pull winding. Um, it's a thermoset process where the the matrix and the reinforcements are uh, essentially pulled through a heated die, which forms the shape, whether it's a tube or a complex window or door profile. Um, and that product that in uh, fiberglass or, or carbon fiber product is pulled through the process that's cut to length and shipped to our customers. Hmm. So um, the advantages composites provide, and, and this is something, you know, that, that growing awareness that composites are an option is, is one of my key uh, tasks. So to just grow awareness that maybe instead of a metal window frame, you want to consider a fiberglass window frame hmm. uh, because, Fiberglass, uh, it won't expand like aluminum does 
in the uh, in the sunlight, for right. example. Um, it doesn't. Uh, fiberglass is a great insulator. That's why they use it in you know houses. You see the fiberglass insulation, sure. but fiberglass uh, window frames will also help save energy. Um, they're resistant to rotting, so unlike wood, they don't swell. Huh. Uh, they won't rot. Uh, so there's a lot of advantages throughout the life cycle of a product to use a composite in it. And uh, uh, I'm, you know, you hear your carbon fiber a lot associated with aerospace technology. Yeah. You know, it's a aircraft or sure. or satellites or spacecraft. Um, but it could also be a window washer that needs a six meter telescoping pool because mm -hmm. they're. Uh, working on cleaning windows all day long and that lighter weight pull with the stiffness and and all of the characteristics they need helps them do a better job so a lot of possibilities with mm, composites lots of applications. it's a very exciting area it really is yeah, yeah. lots of applications yeah. from from cars to the internet to uh aerospace satellites etc um exactly they're they're endless um so talk a little bit about your role and responsibility it's essentially around increasing awareness of the capability and, and the functionality of composites yeah our company has grown uh pretty significantly over the past few years um becoming really a true a true global uh supplier of composite solutions hmm. so um my remit is essentially to help uh, increase our market share across the industries we serve. Um, it's a simple task, but it's got many, many, <laughs> well, it's many simple to say. To yeah. It. So, yeah. So it, it really covers everything from our, our corporate brand, who we are, how we're represented, um, uh, to how our salespeople are able to go and effectively talk to, uh, potential customers. So, um, it's it's wide ranging in that sense. Mm. Uh, again, covering uh, the globe. You know, we have manufacturing in the United States, mm -hmm. across Europe, and in China. So uh, we cross cultures, we cross regions. Um, a lot of potential customers, a lot of existing customers, and um, you know, we have competition that I'm always trying to stay ahead of. Mm. So. Makes makes complete sense, and I assume that you have a, a number of agencies to help you execute on that task of increasing market share. Let's talk a little bit about how you manage um, agencies. Uh, you you talked earlier about your the reason why you w would like to work with smaller agencies is because they put their best people on your account. Generally, how do we motivate for maybe those mid-sized agencies or even a, maybe a larger agency? How can we motivate an agency to put their best people on on our account? It may even also be with a uh, that may also apply to a smaller agency. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess really, it's it. It ultimately it needs to reside within that agency's desire mm -hmm. to serve. Um, the smaller customer. So, and unfortunately, the smaller customers don't have the budget mm -hmm. um, that, you know, a few of the larger ones can, you know, if you can secure a few of the larger, you know, the ABBs and the, and the bigger uh, customers out there, you know, that's, it's, it's you know, easier work. The less people that you have to talk to, mm -hmm. the smaller companies were spread out, you mm -hmm. know, here, 
you know, I'm in Finland and, you know, there, there are a lot of companies our size, uh, doing a lot of different, uh, manufacturing and, uh, um, uh, similar, similar type of, you know, situation where you have companies, uh, that could really benefit from, from creative agencies and from, um, uh, PR agencies. Uh, I think one of the things is just really awareness. Uh, a lot of times the structure in companies, uh, that especially manufacturing companies, which have grown from small mom and pop organizations into, you know, a, f- a pretty good sized company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may not have also pulled in people along the way to modernize how their approach to marketing or branding or any, sure. any of that is being done. So, sure. um, just as, you know, I'm trying to spread the awareness of composites across our, our industries we serve agencies could also spread the awareness if they want of what they can offer to these types of companies. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, this is what you can get, you know, have you considered this? Have you, you know, how are you approaching mm. this? So, and in, in your opinion, what's the best way for agencies to do that? I mean, should they, is that from an outbound perspective? Should they, should they uh, invite you to dinners or events? Should they send you emails? I mean, what's, what have you seen as the best ways that agencies can put that value proposition in front of you and uh, um, create opportunities? Yeah, I think uh, from my perspective, at least, um, I don't see any of the agencies being hesitant to contact me. It's a very nice way to put it. Uh, well, you know, on the one side, it's always nice to understand who's doing what. Yeah. Um, from from the agency's perspective, you know, what kind of work are they doing? What kind of talent do they have in house? Um, uh, what else are they doing? Because there might be something in that pitch that uh, the agencies that you're working with aren't doing, or don't provide, or is you know outside of something that anybody's considered. So there's always always a good possibility of of finding that. But um, if, when it comes to you know, are you trying to there's there's another thing between you know coming in and introducing your company. It's great to understand who you are, and I'll take an hour out of my day and have you you know welcome these mm-hmm. agencies to come and, and and present themselves. If you're trying to get my work, um, you have to beat my agency. So. <laughs> That's that's your that's your that's, your that's a bigger task. Right. That's a different task. So, how how have the best ones been able to do that or demonstrate that they could do that? Uh, I haven't had anybody yet do it. <laughs> so right. So the uh, challenge uh, it, challenge is set. Yeah, and I think and I think okay, so. You know, it, it, when you consider what it would take to switch the agency. It's also sure. the satisfaction that the client has with the agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I had to use one agency that I was completely dissatisfied with everything they were doing. And mm-hmm. I would have, you know, jumped to anybody if possible at that point. Um, there are probably plenty of companies out there using agencies who they're not fully satisfied with. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, where, where a change is welcome mm. or could be welcome if, if the right agency knocked on the door. Mm. Uh, finding those companies, of course, is 
you know, maybe it's, takes a lot of work. Sure, that's the challenge. Really, really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but again, you know, I think uh, timing has to do with it. You know, if, if, uh, if you have fatigue with an agency yeah. or, you know, it's just something, some, some time to change. But um, as long as your agency continues to provide you know, make your job easier. Mm. It, it's really hard to swing the uh, thought process to someone mm. else. I think so. Well, well, just on that topic. I mean, what what are some of the common reasons why um, agencies lose their clients? Because as much as agencies would like to hold on to their clients forever, the reality is clients do replace agencies with increasing regularity. What are some mm. of the most common reasons clients leave agencies, and what can agencies do to avoid it? That's a complex question. Uh, <laughs> we've, well, got, we've got five more hours. It's, you're not doing anything else today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think, I think um, so there, there are, let's say, reasons that are out of the control of the client sometimes. Um, for example, again, going back to previous, I was working with one agency, but the company uh, who I was working for, we all keep that. Mm-hmm. I won't mention mention, mention no. names at this point. No. Um, but basically, through a consolidation effort, uh, said you have to use this other agency that we can't use these agencies anymore. Mm. Um, through no fault of the agency, that was purely politics within the company that drove the business away from that one agency. Um, uh, I, I, I don't. I don't. I, I couldn't say what other some. Some of the other reasons, I, I, mm. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, I would say, yeah, people yeah. changing in the in the client base. You know, if you get a new person in charge of marketing or a person in charge of communications, sure. obviously they're going to want to bring in or look at uh, who's being used and, and the values. And um, I think it probably has. I don't know. I, I would hate to say cost is a huge driver of mm-hmm. that, but I'm sure it has an impact. I'm on sure it. it's a factor. Um, yeah. Really um, interesting. Perceived value. So, hmm. yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about your marketing philosophy because you say business to business companies are in reality more like business to consumer companies because it's us, the people who make the decisions. The business doesn't make the decision. A person actually makes those those business decisions so the c can be you or me or an aunt or a neighbor down the street and you want to feel confident in your decision and while products and services uh, one company offers are important what you're really doing is looking for the right feeling about the company that you're doing business with so how do the best brands create that feeling that you're describing yeah you know and there it really is uh, again, you know, a lot of the products, you know, especially if you're in a product business, products become a commodity. Mm-hmm. So, and commodities come with a cost. So you can take the approach that I'm just going to look for the cheapest supplier of this thing I need, mm-hmm. which, okay, you can do that. And and from my perspective, um, what I would like to do instead is shift that to, you know, okay, you need that product today, but let's look at the next five years, you know, where are you taking your business and how is that product going to change over the next few years or what is your business going to do over that period of time that's going to um, 
uh, you know, change the way that you're looking at that purchasing um, and what value could you use from a company to make your job even easier? Again, it's, you know, putting forward that, um, it's, you know, the aspects of conveying, um, I, I think you have the company's brand. So, for example, our brand that we want to make sure that is is set within our, our uh, customers and our, you know, potential customers that they perceive us as, you know, a premier supplier of, of composite materials for sure. them. Um, and that brings a level of confidence uh, that, you know, they're going to get good quality products. They're going to get on-time delivery. They're going to know that if they pick up the phone and they call either their salesperson or, you know, someone in our R&D team, that they're going to get an answer or that mm-hmm. we're going to work with them to give them an answer. So mm-hmm. it's not just about delivery product. It's about the full package of, you know, we're here to help you do your job better by delivering what you need and, and even going as far as, you know, suggesting new alternatives. Um, you know, we have a nice article out there about um, uh, a customer asking for carbon fiber and, you know, we sell them something cheaper and fiberglass because, you know, it does what they need them to do. Mm-hmm. They don't need the carbon fiber. Hmm. It's great to have. It's great to say. But if you don't need it, don't use it. Sure. So save your money. We'll, we'll sell you something um you know, less expensive mm. that does exactly what you need it to do. So, mm. uh, so yeah. And that for, integrity you know, helping, is really help, refreshing. Yeah. And, and that's what you, we want to have, you know, a, a very clear relationship with our customers mm-hmm. to help them. So we, cause we quite frankly love doing what we do. You mm-hmm. know, we love engineering composite solutions for, for the different, um, uh, requirements that our customers have. So you could do quite a lot of uh, combinations between the um, the resins and the fibers and the alignments of the fibers mm. um, to come up with uh, some pretty neat solutions. So Really interesting. Robert, I, I know I only have you for a few more minutes, so let's get into our quick fire round. These are right questions on. questions that I'm going to fire at you, and you, if you can fire some questions, some answers back, that would be, that would be great. Um, a little bit of fun questions, I think. All right. Um, which CMO is doing the best job in marketing right now? Uh, uh, pass. <laughs> okay, who's got the hardest job in marketing, do you think? For, so your options are, I don't know, CMO of Facebook, Uber, uh, the Remain campaign, head of marketing. Oh. <laughs> uh, without getting political. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not going to get political, so sure. I will say, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I'm going to have to pass on that one. Okay. Pass. <laughs> what What's the single most important thing that you love about working with agencies? Um, surprise ideas and PDFs coming to me. Huh. So with with great things. So I, I love it when an agency comes up with a hey, we were thinking about this. Yeah. And what do you think about this, you know, and, and, you know, boom, that's adding another layer of value to me because I'm very open to new ideas. Yeah. And, and, uh, so when I can see that and then, you know, one of the great things is when I'm having a, a call, 
update call with my agency. We're, we're on, you know, either Skype for business or teams mm. and, you know, you get to see the first bits of, of something come to life mm. and, you know, all of the discussion and all of the talk and all of the vision sure. ideas, you get to see it yeah. and, and it just resonates and it hits you. And that's it's like, yes, that's exactly yeah. what I want. Yeah. Yes. That's a great so, feeling. Yeah. Brilliant. What, what annoys you or frustrates you about working with agencies? We haven't got all day. We've yeah, only got yeah, a few yeah. minutes. So I know uh, what annoys me. Um, you guys always want money. <laughs> well, it's a business. But it's a uh, business. I know. I know. It's a good part of the business, and I understand that, and I respect that. So, right, so right. that's good. Sure. But sure. yes, but we always want money. But it's, it's mandatory part of the business. Sure. Sure. Okay. If you had your own agency, what would you call it, and why? Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, if I had my own agency, what would I call it? Uh, oh, uh, I've, I've always been partial. Not that I've been considering anything like this at all. <laughs> um, but I've had this business name in the back of my head for, mm -hmm. for I don't know, 20 years. Uh, I, I would go with Glasslight Industries. Oh, I like um, it. Yeah. I like that because it's also, you know, it incorporates my name, but at the same time, um, you know, passing some glass light, you know, yeah. gives you the idea you're, you're looking through something to something sure. and, uh, the future. Speed. uh, light also conveys the idea of fast and easy yeah. and, and, you know, so I like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Not that you've been thinking about it at all. Um, no. <laughs> what, what should agencies be thinking about now to ensure that they can continue to best serve, uh, the needs of their clients, both now and in the future. Yeah. So um, again, develop that relationship over uh, not looking just at the next couple months, but look, you know, where are we going next year already? Um, thinking about follow on, being uh, willing to talk about and propose follow on. You know, don't be shy. Uh, talk about what's on your mind, where you see, what other possibilities. Because I know, um, you know, you know, always upselling, cross-selling are, mm -hmm. are a big part for the agency's work. Um, but, uh, you know, bring it on. There's always uh, something good. Um, uh, take the time to really understand and develop that relationship with the client so that um, everything goes faster mm. from that perspective. Communication is always important. Um, you know, we've started using Microsoft Teams now with mm -hmm. the agency I'm working with, and it's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. Consolidates a lot of steps into one area, and it's just, uh, um, you know, uh, a little bit easier on the day. Mm -hmm. And my final question, Robert, what's the single biggest thing that you have yet to achieve that you would still like to achieve in your career? Good question. Single biggest thing that I'd like to achieve that I've yet to achieve in my career. Mm -hmm. <sighs> hmm. I've got no quick answer Tough to this one. question. <laughs> it's, yeah, it requires a little bit more thought, I guess. It's going to require a little bit more in-depth thought. Maybe it needs so, another, another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it has nothing to do with my career. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, no, I'll, I've... Sorry, go ahead. I've, I've got some ideas of some things that I would like to do, but they yeah. completely have nothing to do with my work, but would be um, fun to pursue. 
Uh, so if anybody else out there willing to independently uh, fund and I'll end with a slightly easier one then. So if you could live or work anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Oh, Japan. Ooh, hands down. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because uh, it's a country that's both absolutely in your face, mm-hmm. loud, you know, all senses overload mm-hmm. to complete tranquility Zen. and quiet right. Zen. Interesting. and uh, polite, clean, on time. Um, you know, it's just uh, fast paced, but yet it's still Ordinary. really holding on to that traditional, mm. um, you know, old uh, uh, thought processes there too. And in, in, mm. in that sense that, you know, valuing the traditions and, and going after the new. Mm. So, uh, yeah, Japan, hands down. Really interesting. Thank you for doing this, Robert. This has been really interesting. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear on the show, please email millie at fox.agency. The people that make this show possible are Millie Bell, our booker slash researcher. Paul Blanford is our creative director. Ben Fox is the executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.